It happened in the autumn forest, where the trees constantly shed copper-coloured leaves, and there's always a chill in the air. We are walking in magical forests today, where creatures with musical teeth sing us lullabies, and we'll even visit the ocean floor for a relaxing swim with the beautiful sea life there. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and we're all about understanding technology so that we can better understand ourselves. And we wonder how the ability to transport our minds to these other worlds could alter how we experience this world, the real one. Hi. Hi. Note to Self has a new friend who's going to help us out on this one. Uh, I'm Max Reed. I'm a senior editor at New York Magazine, and we are at the Tribeca Film Festival's Story Space? Story Storyscapes. Storyscapes, which is an exploration of technology and virtual reality in particular, and film, uh, I guess. You just made it sound super boring by giving <laughs> the original, the real title of it. An admission listener. I have not been interested in virtual reality or Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive or any of the virtual reality headsets that are coming on the market this year. As someone who is just trying to get through actual reality, virtual reality has not appealed. But with Mark Zuckerberg calling VR the next major computing and communication platform, I figured it was time for us to get a handle on what this next wave of technology is really going to be like. I invited Max because he's fun. Okay, but also because he's been reporting on virtual reality for a while now. So you and I are actually going to go in there and experience what is technically like the cutting edge of virtual reality. What are you going to be looking for, would you say? Uh, The thing I'm most interested in is figuring out whether or not uh, this is feasible as a consumer gadget and not as a kind of uh, event that you go to and get really excited about. Um, Like we're doing? Like we're doing right Uh now. Uh, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing to go to an art exhibition and see a bunch of different films and a very different thing to sit down in your living room and strap on a headset and try to watch a movie or play a game. So, you know, are we going to be totally disoriented by what we're doing in here? Is it going to be fascinating and addictive and, and the kind of thing we wish we could be taking home with us? I love technology. I want this to work. I want to live in the sci-fi novel. But I also am not quite sure that we're there yet. It's interesting. I love technology also. And I also have no desire to live in a sci-fi novel. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see where you, you and I are like human Venn diagrams. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know where we overlap. <laughs> After signing a waiver that verified we were over 18 and wouldn't sue the makers if we got nauseous or fell over, Max and I entered a room about the size of a tennis court, with various techies and artists hovering around ready to shepherd us into their time and space machines, whatever virtual world they had created. We started with an underwater excursion that you control with slow yogic breathing. It's called Deep and it was developed by this man. Oh, my name is Owen Harris. And what this, are we going to do? Uh, we're going to experience an uh, underwater virtual reality game that you control by slow yogic breathing. That's going to help you to relax, to de-stress, and to kind of reset your emotions for the day. Owen built the first version of Deep just for himself, to help him meditate and better cope with his own anxiety and depression, to escape at the end of a tough day. 
But right now, for other people to use it, deep requires quite a lot of gear. Actually, most VR requires it. I'm going to put on the VR headset and a, what looks like a belt, I guess, that uh, will help me with my breathing. Go for it. No one is running naked and free into these virtual reality worlds yet. Max had to strap on what looked like snorkeling gear, except he wasn't really going snorkeling. Describe what you look like right now. You look kind of freaky, dude. You've got this thing strapped to your head, so I can't see your eyes. It looks like an under, like a goggles, basically, but blacked out. You've got a, like, a like a seatbelt around you with all these wires coming out of it. And tell me what's happening inside of you. I know what's going on outside of you. I'm under the sea, Rich. And when I breathe in and suck in my belly a little bit, I uh, sink. And when I breathe out, I float. Wherever I look, I go. And I can describe what I'm seeing, which is like a typical kind of maybe a little alien undersea environment. This enormous undersea cavern, uh, sharks and fish flying around, all done in a very cool, very uh, sort of cyber-feeling, three-dimensional set of graphics. And I have to say, it is totally immersive. If I, I could do this for another hour, I think, and not feel like I was in the real world. Um, it, is, it is remarkably, uh, remarkably captivating. All right, my turn, Max. I got everything strapped on and... Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I gotta admit, I felt a little barfy at first. <laughs> Whoa, here I go, I'm going through a tunnel. Whoa, that is, oh, wow, and now there are fish underneath me. I mean, they're not, Max, they're not really realistic looking fish. They're more like a digital underwater no. scape, but they're still pretty cool. Yeah, and they're, I could, they're sort of arty. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like graphic designy. Oh, I'm gonna go through another tunnel. There's a shark. Wow. Okay, here I go. Totally, you're 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 totally disoriented. Like the closest thing I can think of is it's like waking up from a nap, like really suddenly, or from yes. a deep sleep. Like you are transformed immediately from what is more or less literally a dreamscape into the actual real life. I I mean I would say I don't have a good sense of how long I was in this just now. It could have been ten minutes. It could have been a minute and a half. And. The idea of this as a consumer gadget in particular and hanging out with it at home, like you could see yourself spending six hours one Saturday sort of accidentally just, you know, tooling around the bottom of the ocean. As a game, there are no goals. Nikki Smith is Deep's other developer. There are no points. There are no enemies. We want to make um, a poetic experience that is sort of a sanctuary. Maybe it's best compared to just... Taking a hike through nature is just you 
the beautiful visuals and the rhythm of, of your own body. DEEP is actually being tested in therapeutic centers in the Netherlands right now. Researchers want to know if DEEP can help at-risk teens cope with anger issues. Also, childbirth professionals have shown interest in the game. And actually, I can really imagine this being a welcome distraction from labor pains. I don't know about the seatbelt part, though. In any case, Owen says he's working on another plan to get deep into your living room. The question is, is the, um, the kind of the overlap of people who like VR, people who are interested in meditation and have problem with uh, anxiety and people who would be willing to back a Kickstarter, is that overlap big enough to support the production of these controllers? And if it is, and we're going to try and find out if it is, um, we'll be able to get into people's homes uh, by the end of the year. Why Kickstarter? Why not do it, like, commercially? Like what, get an investor or something like that? I don't know, investors freak me out. In a minute, what happens when you become part of the story? Another very different... VR experience. And he stared at me as if to say, come on, climb up. It's Note to Self, I'm Manoush Samarodi, and we are talking about virtual reality and how it's coming for us. The VR market is projected to be worth more than $40 billion by 2020. That's not that far away, and that's like the GDP of Libya. Right now, maybe the closest that you've come to really experiencing VR, besides maybe seeing Captain EO at Disneyland, is through the New York Times. It delivered over a million Google Cardboard VR modules to subscribers last year, and another shipment is going out later this month. So what you do is you download their app, shove the phone inside the module, and put it on your face. And boom, you are in a Syrian refugee camp. The idea is to make the viewer have more empathy with the people that they typically read about, who often feel really far away. Okay. Oh, I have like a thing I gotta yes. put on. Okay. okay. Here we go. But the truly mind-blowing virtual experience Max Reed and I had at a special VR exhibit at the Tribeca Film Festival was called The Turning Forest. It's a magical forest full of red and orange and gold leaves falling, and you hear children playing, and then you discover you are, in fact, one of the children. And then you hear and feel the footsteps of an enormous beast approaching you. He stares into your eyes, but look, he's friendly and magical. You can play his teeth like ivory piano keys. And then suddenly... You're on his back, swimming across a vast ocean. The view is stunning. 
And then it's over. And a nice young man is helping you get off your headset and goggles. I hope it wasn't too intense. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like in a daze right now. It's, um, it's really intense, but beautiful. Really lovely. Thank you. Tell me your name. Uh, I'm Chris Pike. I'm from BBC Research and Development. It was funny when I was finished, you helped me take off my headset and you said, how are you? Yeah. In a way, like I'd come back from <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Do you ask people, like, what, how do you try and treat people after they've finished being in this story? I guess I haven't thought about it consciously, but I think you're aware that someone's been completely isolated for a long time and, and in their own experience. So you, you do have to be gentle with them, I think. You lose track of time a bit when you're in there, so just to kind of realise where you are and what's around you again. And in terms of, like, what you see as the promise when it comes to... Um, education or relaxation or I don't know what do you think is the sort of pragmatic look at this and other than just like it being a, a very uh, mind and body altering experience yeah and this one it's 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 a children's story really and it's trying to get the element of fantasy and, and magic in, in it which I think virtual reality can do quite well um, but, I tell you my fear with that, though. Yeah. I have two little kids yeah. who um, have only recently started to be able to go to the movies because yeah. they find it very intense. Mm-hmm. You know, life is pretty intense, so why put them in situations that are that heighten reality so that real life seems almost flat in comparison? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think you have to be very careful. And, you know, we're, we're currently experimenting with this in very controlled settings, like the film festival here and... Um, you've got to ask those questions before you unleash something on the public. Many of the headset makers acknowledge there are some downsides to VR, like headaches and nausea. They don't recommend VR devices for kids, and they tell people to take a lot of breaks. Samsung, for example, also warns not to use its Gear VR when you're tired, need sleep, are under the influence of alcohol or drugs, are hungover, have digestive problems, are under emotional distress or anxiety, or when suffering from a cold, flu, headaches, migraines, or earaches, as this can increase your susceptibility to adverse symptoms. Yeah. On the other hand... How cool will it be for students to feel like they are walking on Mars? Or you could visit your mom even though she lives in Hong Kong. Or you could check out that apartment with a virtual walkthrough. While I'm not crazy about the idea of shining a screen a few inches away from my kids' developing eyeballs, remember how parents always used to tell their kids not to sit right in front of the TV? And that ended up being a load of bunk? After riding the monster... Max and I were exhilarated. And yes, I was still slightly nauseous. Okay. Uh, We're back where we started. Yes. I'm a little shakier than when we set off. Yes. Um, Thoughts? Lessons learned? Um, I thought that, and I think you agree with me, the most impressive thing was the very last one we did, which was the Turning Forest uh, sort of narrative animated story that the BBC did. It is terrifying how, not just how immersive it is, but how little you even want to pull yourself out of it and how hard it is to do so when you're in the middle of it. But I told you to go away when I had my headset on. (laughs) And I know for a fact, because we've done some journalistic research into it, (laughs) that there is a a huge amount of money and interest in the adult entertainment industry into this. And what's 
particularly fascinating about it to me is that the people we've talked to have said that the real future of it for for the adult industry is not in just taking what they're already doing and putting it in VR, but providing a way for lonely people to connect with, uh, I mean, porn stars who they have, they feel like they have a connection with and to sort of pretend to be having a date with them or wine. And so kind of the perfect, like, look, don't touch scenario that's ideal for virtual reality. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the, the, the real sort of the, the too good to be true, the two on the nose irony of it is this sense that like, we're taking this, you know, strap these goggles and this headphone things on to create an experience of companionship that, you know, is actually available in real life too yeah <laughs> Max Reed this was so cool and fun thanks for going on like VR date with me well thank you for having me it was excellent <laughs> oh man porn is always on the cutting edge of technology Max Reed has a new vertical at New York Magazine it is called Select All. Go to newyorkmag.com to check it out. It's all about how we live online, so right in our wheelhouse. And if you are curious about the various virtual reality stuff that I mentioned during the show, we will put links and videos to all of them at note2selfradio.org. Next week. Confusing cultural messages about sexiness online that translate into anything but really understanding sex for girls. For today's young women, this idea of hot, which has been marketed for a while but has intensified in, you know, the internet and social media era, that tells them that that how their bodies look to other people is more important than how those bodies feel to them, that tells them being desirable is more important than desire. For them, it's marketed as a source of, and maybe the source, of personal power and confidence. If you've read the book Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein and have something to say, we would love to include you in this episode, whether you're a parent or a teen or a teacher. Record a voice memo. Email it to us at note2self at wnyc.org. You can get heard on the episode. You can also always tweet us at note2self or me at Manoush Z. We are also on Facebook. Jenna Cagle helped produce this episode of Note to Self. Joe Plourd engineered and mixed it. Jen Poyant executived it. Many thanks to Max Reed of New York Magazine for coming out to play this week. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. I'm noticing that you are tensing up your whole body and you've got, you're, you're squatting. Yeah, I'm going down. I'm not sure you oh, need to squat, though. Max, I'm going down. <laughs> I'm at the bottom. Oh my god.